in August of last year, the Huffington Post had an article and they reported that the southern butterfly, butterfly population is shifting to the north because of the unusually warm winters that we're having here. If we see butterflies this year, let's enjoy them because they're really not supposed to be here very much. All of our butterflies have been shipped uh, to Ohio and places like that. The caterpillar and its metamorphosis is basic second grade science. Yes, you see Emily's name at the top of this. She's grinning back there. She's grinning back there. Emily has been learning about butterflies in Miss Vincent's class. Sarah and Emmy, they had, they've had Miss Vincent as teachers. And like Sarah before her, Emily is getting to raise her own caterpillar and watch it change into a butterfly. She colored uh, this picture and labeled it for a grade. She got a check mark, if you can see the big check mark on there. For this, and it's exciting. It's exciting to know that, that there's something that you're involved with, something that you you can 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 watch and see, and that it's going to change one of these days. That's exciting to see. Uh, she gets a little bit of a sense of the way parents feel about their children sometimes to to see them little and and to watch them watch them change. It's exciting to know that this insect will someday change for her. Caterpillars are slow moving. They do not get in a hurry. They are simple creatures, never knowing that one day they will change into a beautiful butterfly. Some never make it. Some die of disease. Some, like those in our part of the country, They die because it's not cold enough when they're eggs. Some are eaten by predators. They remind me of the four seeds that Jesus talked about in Matthew that were sown into the four different types of soil. You know, there are many times that we have come to meet with the saints to worship God. And we act like a caterpillar, never realizing that we could be a butterfly, never realizing the beauty, the honor, the privilege that we have to worship God. Because we've never really firmly grasped the basics of worship. We have so much potential. We could leave here energized every Sunday if we would remember the basics of worship. We could leave here each week transformed by renewing our minds. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. If we would just remember the basics of worship. Like caterpillars, we forget or we don't understand the potential. Worship seems to many like a waste of time. But if we could understand correctly and be involved in the process of worship, we could all be transformed here today. Worship. Let's try to catch the meaning of worship today. Worship is a noun describing 
the form of religious practice. And worship is a verb, meaning to give honor or reverence. And for our purposes today, worship is reverent love and devotion to God and the way that love and devotion is expressed. Is our worship, and that's my overriding question for the whole sermon today, is our worship a waste of time? What it is if we worship in vain. Of the three types of worship, vain worship seems to be the hardest to fix. Why? Well, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, if you'll turn there, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus calls the the scribes and Pharisees there, He calls them hypocrites. Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied about them, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Isaiah prophesied about them saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Vain worship. Vain worshipers. They show pride. They show arrogance. They do not come humble but prideful. There's nothing that could be sung. There's nothing that could be prayed. There's nothing that could be said from the pulpit today that they don't already know. And worship for them really is just a waste of time. Vain worshipers. may be here only out of habit or necessity or appearances. Also, if we don't know the basics of worship and remain ignorant, our worship is a waste of time. Look over at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, beginning with about verse 23, Paul is preaching in Athens to people who believe in, in all kinds of gods. They've got all these statues to, to Zeus and Aphrodite and Apollo. and They, they have all these statues. And they even have a statue to, an, to the unknown God. The God. They didn't want to leave any of them out, so they made a statue to the unknown God. Just in case they missed one. And Paul said, the one that they worshipped in ignorance, verse 23, he was the one that Paul was going to let them know about. There's only one God. Even today, so many worship in ignorance, not understanding really what God's requirements for true worship is. True worship, according to the Bible, was given by Jesus in John chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Jesus here, he's meeting a Samaritan woman by the well. And in a religious discussion that he's having with her about, about the, the Jews and the, 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 the Samaritans, Jesus says in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. We must, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. True worship has the right focus. God. God is the right focus of all of our worship, not ourselves, 
but God. If we don't come to worship God, we worship in vain, vanity or ignorance. Our worship is a waste of time. God is the creator of the world. He's the most powerful being in the universe. He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David the king, the God by whose word this world was made and that word became flesh and dwelt among us and lived with us for a little while and taught and bled and died and was buried in a rented tomb, a borrowed tomb and was raised from the dead. That same word, Jesus Christ. We must worship God to be acceptable. We must have the right attitude in spirit. Our emotions, our feelings are sincere. We will worship with respect. We will worship in all. We will be unified in our actions. We will worship according to the God-given pattern, the right attitude in spirit. And we will worship the right way in truth. The truth will make us free, John eight thirty two. Doing God's will, John six thirty eight. We will transform our minds, Romans twelve verses one and two, and prove His will. We won't worship the way man has set up. We will worship the right way, the way God wants us to. And the only way we can know that is by finding out how to worship through God's word. So many times. We, for one reason or another, we don't come to worship the right one. We don't have the right attitude. So it's hard for us to worship the right way. Hey, I'm a parent. I understand. It was tough getting ready this morning. It was tough. Wasn't it in me? It was tough. Finding... A dress that everybody would like. Finding breakfast that everybody wanted. It's tough. It's, it's hard to come with the right attitude sometimes. It's hard to walk out the door and walk in here and you've been rah, 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 in the car. And you walk in here and, oh, hi, how are you? It reminds me of my mother when I was little. She would be fussing me, rah, rah, and the phone would ring. You know, it was one of those long cords. Y'all remember the long cords, don't you? You remember those? She'd have, well, hello. She would, it was amazed me. She was just yelling at me, and then she was so nice on the telephone. Hey, it's hard to do. It's hard to get here on time. I understand. I understand. Uh, Brother Billy Reed is a preacher out of Texas. He wrote this. You can't fix late, though. No matter how hard you try, you can't fix late. You can only be late. Sometimes you, you might work harder and longer to make up for it. You can ask forgiveness. You may even show up fashionably late, he says. But once you're late for an event, you'll never be on time. Right? It's the truth. Being late is a habit for some, a weakness for many, and a pet peeve of others. But being late has spiritual implications as well, he says. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. This is the, the example that he gives in his little short talk about you can't fix late. 
the parable of the ten virgins, beginning with verse 1 of Matthew 25. Ten young women were waiting for a wedding celebration. They'd been waiting for a long time. Five of them had brought enough oil so that they wouldn't run out. Five others didn't bring enough oil and their oil was gone because they had to wait a long time. And the ones who didn't have any oil begged the others, please give us some of your oil. But they couldn't. And as the, the, ten, the five foolish virgins, as, as Jesus calls them, they run off and get, the, get their oil. They come back and the door's already shut. They were late. They couldn't fix late. This is talking about Jesus' return. When he returns on the day of judgment, I hope we're not late. <laughs> as late as we are when we sometimes come to worship. A joyful welcome awaits God's children when Jesus Christ comes back. But you can't fix late. So many factors, so many roadblocks, so many snares are a part of a bad attitude. We've all been there. Understanding whom to worship and how to worship will go a long way to successfully worship, worshiping God consistently. First, we, we've got to understand that we meet on, on Sunday. That's a basic of our worship. We meet on Sunday. We meet on the Lord's Day. Before the day of Pentecost, the disciples met on Sunday in John chapter 20, verse 19, and they met again the very next Sunday. John chapter 20, verse 26. I don't know what the word Sunday is in Hebrew or Greek. In the Greek, it's Mia Sabaton, the first of the Sabbath. In other words, it's the first day after the Sabbath, the first of the Sabbaths. It's the first day of the week is the way it's translated in the New Testament, and God is good because, you know, we call it Sunday. The, the, the Spanish-speaking world calls it Domingo. I don't know what they call it in German or Italian, but, but every one of us understand when the Sabbath is and then when the first day after the Sabbath is. And whatever land you're in, whatever language you're speaking in, it's always the first day after the Sabbath. It's always the first day of the week, and we happen to call it Sunday. The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, fell on Sunday. And they were meeting and praying together when the Holy Spirit fell on them with power on Sunday. After Pentecost, Christians met on Sundays, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. And we are commanded to give our money to a common treasury every Sunday, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. The church began on Sunday. Salvation was preached on Sunday. There is no example of Christians assembling on the Sabbath day or the fifth day or the second day of the week. The plural Lord's, the Lord's day, is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, it says. And then we also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 20 when we participate in one of the five acts of worship 
we participate in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. On Sunday, the first day of the week, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, is when the disciples came together to break bread. The Lord's Supper was started by Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 26, and consists of unleavened bread, as we have had this morning, which represents the body of Christ, and the fruit of the grapevine, which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 54 says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, we were just reading this this, reading this, this just this morning, uh, drinks my blood, says Jesus, has eternal life. We commune, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, as Pat was pointing out, we commune with Christ when we partake of the Lord's Supper. This act of worship is a waste of time if we don't partake of it in a worthy manner. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 says, because if we don't take of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we are guilty, guilty of grievous sin. It says we're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, what the author is saying, what Paul is saying there, we are just as much as guilty as the Jews of nailing Jesus to the cross. We might as well go ahead and nail him to the cross again if we don't take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So too, if we don't come with an attitude prepared to sing and so fulfill the command to sing in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 and Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. It is crucial to realize that in the Bible, the New Testament gives us the principles of true worship, but it doesn't legislate the order. When I was a little boy at Walnut Street Church of Christ in Dixon, we didn't worship. We, our order of worship was not the same as it was here, is here at, at Fountainhead. Our order of worship is not the same way that it is at Birdwell's Chapel and at Portland Church of Christ. Songs are not provided. Specific prayers are not come out, provided. How we can co- conduct the, the common services is not provided. We're not even given a complete view of a meeting. During, our, during the first century and the persecution of the Christians during that time, a governor by the name of Pliny, he wrote to the emperor Trajan. They were trying to figure out this Christian question. They had been persecuting Christians and putting them to death. If they didn't renounce Christ, they put them to death. Pliny is, 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 is writing to the governor, explaining to him Pliny the governor is writing to the emperor Trajan, explaining to him what he had been doing with this problem. He said, he talked of the Christians. He said, they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God and to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, nor falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Even this, they affirmed, they had ceased to do after my edict, by which, in accordance with your instructions, I had forbidden political associations. It's interesting to note that singing... And the Lord's Supper are confirmed by a heathen Roman governor. But it's important to realize where this information came from. It came from those who had renounced Jesus Christ. That's who told him about this. 
And it brings up another crucial element in our worship. That just because we have an outward form that uses the activities that's found in the the New Testament does not necessarily mean we have scriptural worship. The first century Christians, they prayed together. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. We're commanded to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17. We're commanded to pray everywhere, everywhere. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they also taught, and Timothy was a, a young preacher, and, and, and he was commanded, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 4, to preach the word in season and out of season, to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering. On the first day of the week, we are commanded to give to a common treasury, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 and 2, to give as we've prospered. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. These these acts of worship are true worship because they're found in, in God's Word. Do not think, though, that because we have the right and true form means that we have acceptable worship. Our worship is vain and ignorant and a waste of our time if we don't worship God in spirit and in truth. Let me tell you a fable. There's a fable of a man who went to church with an angel as his guide. Every seat in the church was filled. He could tell that the people were singing because their mouths were moving, but there was no sound coming out of their mouth. One got up to read scripture and and he got up to read, but his mouth was moving, but there was no words. the, The man could hear nothing. He asked the angel why. He says, I I see that a service is going on, but I hear nothing. The angel replied this, you hear nothing because there is nothing to be heard. You see this service just as God sees it. They are not putting their hearts into it, and so God hears nothing. He hears only that which comes from the heart and not that which comes from the lips only. Since our worship should be in spirit as well as truth, John chapter 4 verse 24. Let's be careful that our devotion is genuine. It's earnest. It's what God wants. When we put ourselves totally into the service, we come away full instead of empty. We are happier and God is pleased. I want to turn your attention to the the handout that two young men handed out to you earlier. It came from the latest gospel advocate. The latest gospel advocate. It's by. It's, it's an article written by one of our brothers, uh, Wes McAdams. Wes uh, preaches for the Baker Heights Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. Wes McAdams has a great article. I thought so much of it. I wanted y'all to have a copy. And it tells of the mindset of many living in our day and in our time. He read a blog. The, 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 the reason he wrote this article is because that he read a blog. Now, for some of you who don't understand what a blog is, a blog is basically somebody's personal computer magazine, okay? And they write articles in their personal computer magazine, okay? You can only find this on the computer. It's not in print anywhere. So, Wes McAdams, he had read this blog titled, Why Are the Churches of Christ Shrinking? That's the name of the article. 
the blog's authors, the blog author's premise was this. We are shrinking because we fail to recognize a shift in our culture. He quotes the blog author. Younger generations come to worship looking for an experience and what they get are lecture and information. Brother McAdams gives three reasons why emotional experiences appeal to the masses but why experience-driven worship just won't work. Number one, an experience does not challenge. No toes are stepped on. No one feels guilty for sin. No one feels guilty for error in an experience-driven worship. You don't have to alter your thinking. You don't have to alter your life. You don't have to alter your behavior. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he gives this example. The sick, when he fed the 5,000, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. People flocked to him, but when he challenged them to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, the followers left. John chapter 6, verse 66. An experience has no boundaries, number two. The experience-driven want a worship experience. They want to to feel good when they leave. How many times have you heard that? They want to feel good when they leave. When they they live in in the experience-driven life, we live in an an MTV uh, Disney world, Disney channel. We will never outspend MTV and Disney. You will always be left wanting if you live in the experience-driven model. Because you'll always want more. You'll always want faster. You'll always want bigger. you always want better than before. Those whose services are based on experience must always top last time. From Willy Wonka Easter services to repel teens repelling from the ceiling. People will always want brighter, faster, and more exciting experiences. There's no boundaries with experience-driven worship. Number three, experience validates. Now, on the outset, that may sound good. I like to be validated. You like to be validated. Experience-driven churches leave their members feeling validated and justified. The crowd interprets, I'm quoting from the author here, the crowd interprets their good feeling as an indication from God that they're doing all right. Brother McAdams writes, and I've agreed with this for a few years, the church is at a pivotal moment in history, a point in which we must make a decision. We must decide by which we will be driven, by faith or experience. We cannot choose both. He quotes Elijah, 1 Kings 18, 21. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. This does not not mean that we just go through the motions and experience nothing though. Heartfelt worship God's way has so much to offer. And most of the experience we do have depends upon the leaders in our worship and the leaders in our congregation. 
The elders of our congregation go to the New Testament and from examples found there, they construct a sequence of worship, a, a, a sequence of worship which is decent and in order. It's important for our worship to have good, strong leadership. And the elders, they certainly set the tone for that. But the preacher, Doug, me, you, the preacher and the one who leads the prayer, song leader, each of us. We go before the congregation, each of us stands before the people, and by our service we say, this is what you should be thinking. This is the way that you should be going. This is how you should be acting. And we, we're either helping the church or we're hindering the church when we lead here in front of the church. Communion either becomes a, a sacred event, as I felt like it was this morning, or a hurried ritual. Singing becomes a one-man show because the, the songs are too high or too low, or it's thoughtfully put together as it was this morning. If the Bible is preached, and, you know, I can find a nugget of Scripture. If the Bible's being preached, I don't care how boring the preacher is. If we are worshiping the way we're supposed to worship, we can find a nugget from anybody who's up here preaching the truth. But on the other hand, Bastel Baxter said of us, Doug, he, he was fond of saying, if the congregation goes to sleep, you need to wake up the preacher. Ted Waller says in his book on worship, unless thought goes into a service, not much will come out of it. We who lead must put thought into the service. Worship is a waste of time it's, if it's vain or, or ignorant. If God is not worshiped with the right attitude and spirit in the right way, in truth, the extremes of passionless worship we shouldn't go there we shouldn't go to passionless worship neither should we go to experience driven worship either that should be avoided too as leaders we need to take the time to lead the congregation prepared and humble as an audience we must be driven by faith not by experience because without faith Hebrews eleven six, it's impossible to please God we must be driven by faith as Christians, we have so much potential, so much freedom. Some of us just need to realize what we're capable of. Make sure you understand the basics. Now, like the metamorphosis of the caterpillar, those who are not a Christian can change from Christian to saint, from sinner to saint by being baptized into Christ today. Won't you put Christ Jesus on in baptism and be a part of his kingdom? We've been told in the New Testament that one day Jesus Christ will come back. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. We'll be changed. Come right now as together we stand and sing.